Well, it's certainly good to be back for worship indoors. A lot cooler in here. Uh, although I guess the advantage of being outdoors was got those tan lines going each Sunday morning. Uh, but for some of you, this is coming back to church. Maybe the first time in months. And uh, we welcome you, everyone, for those who, yep, yep, this is the first time back. Yeah. It, it is a little weird not to be in your pajamas on Sunday morning. I know, you'll, you'll get used to it again with the rest of us. And like Barry said, for those online, uh, the fact of who's back, who's back, who's back, really it's kind of like this message goes out, you can come back. I mean, it's kind of like the big point of today to get is like, you can't come back here. And, and as you do and you kind of make this like, okay, is this new routine and we want to bless everyone's efforts, what they're trying to do for what they're practicing and why they do it, that's understood. But there's a message hidden here, of course, that points us to today's text. Second Chronicles 26, and then we'll get to 33, and it tells of two kings, and in their life they had this particular turn, and that points us to a big kind of heart life thing the Bible calls repentance. Now, to repent is something that people were told to do when they first met Jesus. And whenever I'm kind of teaching uh, people, spiritual seekers, you know, this idea, I'll often get up physically and I'll illustrate by saying, see, you're kind of like moving down your life's direction one way, and then you stop, and you turn, and then you start going in this new direction, everything new in a different way. It's kind of nice to have a big stage. <laughs> actually move now for a change and move. And when you're coming into this new building, we actually have a new vision by which we'll think of our life in terms of story. So in your story, there be, where is this distinct change, this repentance that's a part of your story? So we're going to look at your life. It's like the early is the opening chapters of your life. And uh, you all know what it was like back when you were young. You had energy to spare. I mean, you were out to conquer the world, though you didn't know the first thing about it, high school. Okay? And the first king, actually, he began his reign at 16 years old. So that's the time frame, right? Unlimited potential. And I wonder if, like him, you look at your life and go like, okay, was that you? Were you like him? You were voted by your class most likely to succeed. Okay? People said of you, like, man, that guy's got great potential. Oh, that young woman, I mean, she's so beautiful. You just think of all the opportunities. And then, you know, like 25 years later at a high school reunion, those people have changed a little bit. You know, the potential, uh, they've, they've become heavier. So the potential is like there's more of you than we remembered <laughs> from before. And, and then, of course, you think about the ones in high school everyone made fun of. You know, the folks who couldn't even, like, get a job at a fast food joint, they're the ones who made it in life. I mean, they come back slender and rich, and they're the ones driving the, you know, cool sports cars and wearing the Italian clothes, you know. But what it is is that's like in everyone's life, there were these turns, and it affected the new direction and who they became. That turn is something that we want to look at in these examples of these kings. And the first one, King Isaiah. Oh, my goodness. He was, he was an early bloomer, super achiever. I mean, he comes out of this thing. He reigns for 53 years. So if kingship is like uh, track and field, this is a marathon. And yet, Isaiah comes out of this thing out of the blocks. I mean, he comes out with a great start. So if you've got your scripture there, just look there at 26. And coming down at verse uh, 4, you have it saying that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. So as a young man, 
good heart, sought God, did his best for the Lord. You know, it says a lot when it's a teenager, because you know how hard the teen years and young adulthood is, the pressure that there is for someone to just chuck the moral upbringing that they were, you know, taught with, to get off that path that they learned as a child. And you have that example of this one. This king held true. He kept his priorities straight as a young man. I picture him this young, excited, you know, uh, on fire spiritually. He probably led a life group of his peers, shared his faith regularly, participated in worship. And then verse 6 and following, I won't read it, but it just shows his incredible abilities because God blesses him with these abilities to accomplish things and his privileges that he had and, and the wealth and everything came with it. Um, you see that he restored a strategic rival base. Um, a lot of kings, you know, they could claim to go get a few victories. But King Isaiah, he defeated major enemies and then turned around and he rebuilt those cities to make them strong again. He was an entrepreneur, he brings Judah into an economic future, a visionary king, because you can see that he oversaw huge construction projects, you see agricultural changes that he makes to feed his people, take care of his nation, make himself sufficient. He was a planner, he knew how to get things done. And then this note on the invented machines indicates the type of advanced weapons that this king led the nation into, you know, that time state-of-the-art technology to equip them. Verse 15, and his fame spread far. For he was marvelously helped till he was strong. He did not just have potential, he fulfilled it. I mean, most likely to succeed, and he did. Isaiah. I think he accomplished more than even Solomon did, or maybe since Solomon. And there's this phrase, because he was marvelously helped. Yeah, by God. It's the Lord who prospered him and promoted him. But did you notice the other little phrase tacked on there? Until he was strong. Oh. Indicates a turn. It's kind of like when you're watching a movie and the background music, it was all up and cheery and exciting, and then it turns dark. There's kind of this tense, sinister tune. And you know, uh-oh, something's going to change. Someone's going in one direction, and it's going to switch to another. And their life story is going to turn out differently. They'll never be the same again. Verse 16. When he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Now, that's not a sign of genuine worship when it comes to the king. It, it was a fine thing to do, but it's what the priests were assigned to do. And so when Azariah and the other priests, when they saw the king in there, they were appalled to see in his arrogance to come inside the holy place. And then as they looked and they saw up on his forehead, they began to see leprosy break out. And immediately they got him out of here because clearly the Lord had struck the king. <laughs> Call it a turn for the worse. <laughs> In spite of all the achievements, all the success this king had, all of that prospering, he reached a point one day in which he went to a spiritual downspin. Somehow he tanked, somehow he screwed up and crashed and burned. And it looks like in that moment we'd say, yeah, what happened that day? But that's not what this verse indicates that happened. And the fact that you'd think like, oh my goodness, 
Could that happen to a good, godly person? Oh, you bet. I get nervous. Could that be me? Oh, yes. Because there are many who come and have this disastrous midlife collapse. What went wrong? Well, somehow his heart became proud. That idea till he was strong. Somehow all of these achievements and success, he couldn't handle it because it went to his head. And he began to become proud and it corrupted him. You know, he should have listened to Solomon's words, um, which is interesting enough because there's another very smart king who also made some very uh, dumb decisions. But he said in Proverbs 16, pride goes before destruction. An arrogant attitude before a fall. Pride is such a subtle thing. I mean, it's hard to detect. It's easy to hide. And whoever confesses to pride, I mean, whoever actually discloses, oh, this is my problem today. C.S. Lewis said it's the greatest sin. And he says those people who don't think they have a problem with it actually applies to them most of all. Uzziah's success seems to have got to his head and ruined him. Apparently, he got to the day where he thought he could do anything, even ignore the rules that God had for his temple. I'm one of those uh, really nearsighted uh, people. Uh, yeah, if you see my nighttime glasses, they're like the pop bottles. You know, on the bottom of, I think my contacts are thicker than most people's glasses. And, uh, you know, just th- that's why if you ever see me out in public, I, I don't want to acknowledge you. Um, it may not be anything personal, okay? I mean, I got corrective lenses, but, eh, you know, seeing so far is not so good. I went to an ophthalmologist last year. And he detected some early signs of possible glaucoma. What would happen is we don't keep an eye on it, to use the pun. (laughs) I could eventually go blind. So now I've got to do the regular checkups and keep going back for that seeing physician to keep looking into that to make sure. Pride is like a degenerative eye disease that eventually will blind a person. And losing your spiritual vision is like losing your physical vision, where the slowness of the progression is almost undetectable, where it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse until one day there's just a distinct turn, and it happens. And that's why there is a need to prevent that by going to regular checkups of the all-seeing great physician and some very key godly people that are watching you for what you may not be careful to watch. Why are you doing that? Hey, what's up, brother? Why are you acting like that? Why are you getting involved in that? Why are you, why are you spending so much time on those things that are not good for you? They ask tough questions. These accountable people and God in his word to keep probing away. Why? Because they love you, and they don't want to see this kind of turn, where now this thing crashes and burns. And now, what hope is there, right? How important it is to have these people in our life, that blindness how it sets. And we don't want to be like this pride-blinded king who goes into the temple one day, that fateful day, and man, God has shown him grace and given him all those years of that strength and that blessing. But there's no way that's going to continue when that heart goes like it goes and it starts going down and he's losing his spiritual vision and vitality. And so the consequences come someday. Oh my goodness. And boy, do they come 
they come hard and fast. God does, the, the consequences always come. We always have consequences. God will not let us live in a universe in which we can mock the system of what you sow is what you reap. We may not always see them when they come, and not the implications may not be clear to us immediately, but they are coming. And man, this was a tough one that Isaiah had to face. I mean, his face gradually eaten by leprosy. If you look at the last part of his life, it's chronicled as this, that he was a leper to the day of his death, and being a leper lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. This incredibly talented, successful man who had once turned all the guys' heads and turned all the girls' ears and, and eyes upon him, he is going to spend the rest of his life overcome with a revulsion that's going to cause everyone to turn away from him. Consequences of the turn. Steve Ferrara was someone I was reading one day, and he kind of drew my attention to this, and provided a modern illustration. Somebody actually had a book on my shelf by um, the old uh, witty curmudgeon, comes from the late 19th century, a dramatist, Oscar Wilde. Actually a popular playwright in his day. He's the one who authored the picture of Dorian Gray in his fame. And Oscar Wilde faced consequences of a turn he made and he spent his last years in jail. Looking back on his life, he wrote this. The gods have given me almost everything, but I let myself be lured into a senseless and sensual ease. I became a spendthrift of my own genius. Perversity became to me in the sphere of passion. I forgot that every little action of my common day makes or unmakes character. What one has done in the secret chamber, one has someday to cry aloud from the housetop. I ceased to be Lord over myself. I was no longer captain of my soul, and I did not know it. I allowed pleasure to dominate me, and I ended in horrible disgrace. Better than Wordsmith himself, I know what he meant when he said, suffering is permanent, obscure, and dark. Oh, that could have been a quote from Isaiah. Know anyone like that? It's gone from good bad we're saying you can come back to everybody could someone not returning to church be a bad sign oh you bet now I'm not talking about and all those in the online community you are there faithful and you're listening you're trying to stay engaged in your church and because of health reasons staying away we thumbs up that. Please do that. Be careful and make sure that you don't put yourself at risk. Take the measures. If you come today, then you know it's like you can see the distancing people can take. We got a lot of face masks. All good. That's not who I'm referring to. What I mean is during these unusual months, and BCC is a large church that some have lost track, got off a path, got away, and now it's a frightful thing to realize what has happened, that they themselves have turned. And so if you get a call or somebody sends you an email from church because we are concerned, have you turned, Isaiah-like? Well, there's a similar story. Another king. It, it also is a turn, really, in the opposite direction. Um, Manasseh. Manasseh actually would have been voted um, 
most likely to live his life behind bars, okay? He did not get a good start. Uh, he was one, I mean, you talk about bad. His kingship was marked right from the beginning as just, just something terrible. It was like a disaster out of the blocks. If you're in chapter 33, just flip over there, and you'll just see in the beginnings of those verses, it says that he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and according to the despicable practices of the nations. And if you keep reading, you see what some of that is. Verse 6 says that he was... Uh, Sacrifices baby in the fire. Satanism, witchcraft seemed to be like his go-to religion. Verse 9, Manasseh led them. So he led the whole nation astray to do more evil than the nations had done whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. He filled Jerusalem from one end to another with the blood of innocent men. With perversion and terror, Manasseh reigned for decades. No king was worse. You know what that life direction is. He's going, right? And if there's a God, I would certainly think the consequences for that kind of behavior, that kind of heart, oh man, they have to be very severe. A man who created a living hell for other people, he's the last person on earth that should die peacefully and in luxury in his ripe old age. But when you zip to the final statement on his life, you tack on 2 Kings 21 with one at the end of this chapter, and you'll find out it has this nice little wrap-up. Here's the closing. Manasseh slept with his fathers and was buried in the garden of his own home, which means that's the Old Testament way of saying he died blessed. And I'm going like, what? How can that be? Where, where, what in the world? Where's the sense of justice? Where's that reap what you sow thing? For a guy who lived like this and he, he did the terrible things, he murdered the prophets. Tradition says that Isaiah lost his life due to this king. He had him sawed in two. I guess that's the way you try and silence God's voice from your life. <laughs> and I couldn't get my mind around that. I thought of all the people that deserve to suffer the consequence for their sin, it is Manasseh. Now, a little Bible guidance, <laughs> you Bible readers, because I, I kind of made this make early on. Before you react too quickly to something you read in the Scripture, Keep your mouth shut and just keep studying, okay? <laughs> you know, keep reading. <laughs> you probably missed something there. Uh-huh, sure enough, I did. Something significant happens in the in-between time with Manasseh. Between verses 10 and 20, the kingdom was attacked. Look what it says, verse 11. They captured Manasseh with hooks, bound him with chains of bronze, and brought him to Babylon. And when he was in distress... He entreated the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. Yeah, there was hell to pay. And Manasseh, in his middle years, he did not get to transition to some island paradise and sip drinks at the beach all day. <laughs> oh, no. God allowed him to be overpowered. His enemies put a hook in his nose and they hauled him off into pain and humiliation. They tossed him in a dungeon. Let them rot. At this point, I'm kind of happy. I'm like, yeah, yeah, throw away the key, too. You know, I had a kind of Jonah-like feeling about it. Then the music starts to change. Remember? Oh, there's going to be a turn. It says, when he was in distress, which literally in Hebrew is when he was hemmed in, he sought the Lord. Genuine humility. And he prayed like he never prayed before. Verse 13, he prayed to him, and God was moved by his entreaty and heard his plea 
and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God, a startling and important turn, a turn back to God. And I would have loved to have heard that prayer of Manasseh's, wouldn't you? I mean, I put in all my discipleship material, prayed this prayer. <laughs> there actually was an early century believer who envisioned what the content of the prayer of Manasseh would be. And he included things like actually calling on God for his mercy and his grace, acknowledging all the wickedness and the iniquities that he had done, and seeking God to, uh, you know, not condemn him. I've sinned, O oh Lord, right? You're here. Those of you listening are, are here. <laughs> Does that, does that indicate your prayer, your return to church, or is a turn back to God? Well, I certainly pray so. I just illustrated one king that you, we don't want anyone going there. But I want everybody going here. The one who's going to take this moment and whatever's going on in their life and use that as the opportunity to turn back to God. Have you prayed lately? Have you needed to pray? Because we, why don't we do it right now? So, bow our heads, close eyes. If you want to say it out loud, just go ahead and repeat after me. Now, I kind of prefer the prayers that are based off Scripture, like a Psalm 51. Let's just bring it. Let's, whatever's been going on in this direction, let's just bring it right now, okay? Just pray. Repeat after me if you want. Dear God, I acknowledge what I've done. I have done wrong in your sight. I come to you for cleansing. Remove it from me, O oh God. I ask forgiveness for my sins. Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. And you rose from the dead. I am turning away from my sin. I'm turning back to you. Create in me a clean heart. Restore to me my salvation. I trust you and follow you. My Lord and my Savior. Amen. And the story changes now. For you, for Manasseh. Hey, if it blew your mind about the depravity that man led them through, about how, what evil he had done, and the way the whole nation was affected, now you're going to be even more blown away to see what happens as a result of this. The blessings of the turn. Oh, an incredible turnaround. See, there has to be evidence that one repented. And we see all kinds of works that he did following his turn. From verse 14 following, you see that he returned to Jerusalem. He built the outer wall for the city of David. He raised the gates. He refortified the cities. He recommissioned the army. He took away the foreign gods and idols. Clean house, right? Get that removed. <laughs> he restored the altar of the Lord with its sacrifice and offerings. And he commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. Wow, what repentance. Because he turned back to God, the Lord moved on his heart. And I really do like that ending better than any other. 
because I want it to be the story of my life and yours. You can come back. You'll say that? You can come back. Now you know the direction this is going, right? This is very personal. This is very much acknowledges what has been happening and the direction that's been happening. And God is speaking through this to say, you can come back. Look at Manasseh. There's no way you crashed and burned and did stuff like he did. And look at the change of what took place inside his story with the turn. And now back in this direction, all the blessings that await you. Because if you take the turn and you come back, you'll find God. You'll find that he loves you, he forgives you, and he changes you. You make a turn like Israel's repentant king, and it's going to move God's heart. Now, Manasseh did not get off easy. Obviously, he did experience the consequences that were very serious and hard for him as a result of what he had been doing. But here's what he did. He let those things affect his heart to change it. He didn't just accept like, oh, well. He took that and he course corrected and he, he let it impact him and he reacted in a way in which it would lead to a transformed life and a change for him and the whole nation. So when the band plays a little bit later the comeback song of Running to the Father, I'm going to be down there by the New Baptistry. And I'll be praying. You can come up, pray with me. Now, if you're doing the six-foot distancing, you better not. But I want really, it just represents all of us praying everywhere we are. Praying for yourselves, praying for others. And maybe this come back as they return to church in which that's been waiting for you, that baptistry. Because there's a need for a change. And you know what that represents, new life. I need a big change. And it's now, it's been waiting a long time and it's time. And so start that new life and say, hey, Tim, is this thing ready? Yes, it is. And let's get going back to God. You can come back. Amazing thing about the Lord. <laughs> See, you're, you and I are still in our story. And it is not too late. Right here in this chapter, a significant and life-changing turn can take place. Repent. Pray that prayer. Time to address that pride that's kind of probably caused this whole thing to go off the rails anyway. Say no more. And in humility, turn towards him. You can come back.